Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying this podcast. I know I'm really enjoying doing it. It's my favorite thing to connect with people and go deep and see where our journeys overlap and how we can inspire each other through connection. And if you've ever thought about doing a podcast, I invite you to try it. It's really easy. And the platform that I'm using to create this podcast, Anchor, makes it really simple. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast, which means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've ever thought about it and you have an iPhone or a desktop that you can record podcasts at, Try it right away. It's really simple and fun, and it's a great way to connect and build community. Now back to the podcast. This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bonds. So today, I am here with my good friend, Maria Malfino, who I've known for many years, and it's really nice to have known her for so long because I feel like I've seen her transform and grow and expand a lot, and it's been a while since we dropped in, so I'm excited to hear where she's at, so thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to hang out and just chat. And... As perhaps you can probably tell already, the sound quality of this podcast is better. And I have my microphone that a friend gave me, and she brought over these two really professional-looking microphones that we're now using. We each have one. And I think that kind of sums Maria up. Because <laughs> now, after this podcast, I can't go back to the quality that I once no. had. She's kind of like burst that bubble. <laughs> You've been elevated. Ready or not. <laughs> Um, so I feel like when we first connected, you were in the process of writing Mm -hmm. a novella, I guess, Mm -hmm. or was it a novel? A novel. Okay. A novel about, it was like semi-autobiographical about Mm -hmm. your experience of transformation at Burning Man. Mm -hmm. And since then I've seen you blossom and become an empowered women's coach Mm -hmm. so in as much or as little detail as you want maybe you can tell me about like that process of writing that and how your actual life played out for you to transform into what you are now yeah I also like feel like we met at a tea house we did meet at a tea house when I was in grad school Mm -hmm. you were working there or not working there but like kind of helping out helping Vincent out yep Mm -hmm. at taste Mm mm-hmm And I just remember feeling very serendipitous meeting you. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way when they meet you. Like it's, there's a synchronicity about it so much because you're so fluid and you're like out on the streets and like, um, connecting with a lot of people. So I remember being like, Oh, a new friend, how synchronous to meet at the tea house. Right. And then like so many of then we like, interweave like weaved wove I don't know the verb but like I feel like it was like from there we had like so many mutual friends and started to like kind of have more overlap and it keeps growing um yeah so I'm really grateful that I met you at that point in my life 
in grad school Mm because I feel like that was like right after grad school is when I started writing the book. Mm. And um, it's interesting, like coming out of school, I felt like I came out of that program with so much creative confidence. Like, I, I don't know what it was. I mean, I have a feeling about certain things that happened in, in that program, but I just came out being like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to sit down and write 2000 words a day. <laughs> like I did that for a month and that was 60,000 words. And I was so disciplined about it. It was crazy. I was like, I'm going to sit and I, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to write through this, this discomfort, and I'm just going to dream on the page is what I, you know, that was the feeling. It was like, you're literally dreaming on the page. So I kind of dove right in, but also felt like the story really wanted to rip through me. That was a feeling like it was like coming through me so fast. And if I didn't sit and do my show up, it was, I was going to lose this chance. So I felt like, okay, I uh, locked myself in a little cellar, you know, in a little um, like closet room and, and wrote. And that was really powerful. The experience of writing it was, I would even say, the most powerful thing. Mm. More than like the outcome. Mm, the process. Yeah, the process and the fun I had. Just like being like, where's this character going to go? <laughs> you know, I wonder what they're going to do next. And like, I just, there was so much delight in it, you know? So you were able to get to that place where you weren't just retelling events that happened. You were actually creating things. Oh yeah, it was totally fiction. I made stuff up, yeah. you know? I mean, it's loosely autobiographical. So it's the main character is a, a woman like me, but she's also not like me in a lot of ways. And it was a totally made up events so that, and I really liked that freedom of not being constrained by reality in some ways, like feeling like I want, I want surprising things to happen, to emerge. So I think that's the beauty of fiction is that you're like literally imagining things. Mm. It's so imaginative, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like you finished that and then you were feeling like you didn't want to publish it or pursue it. Mm-hmm. But then I thought I, you said maybe you were like reinterested in it or mm-hmm. did I imagine that? Yeah. So after I finished it, I was overwhelmed. I was like, here's a 60,000 page manuscript. My first ever. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do with this thing? So I was like, really like. Well, I guess I'll just put it in a drawer for a little, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like, (laughs) that's a really funny, like visual, like you finishing for some reason, I'm picturing you being at a typewriter as opposed to like a computer (laughs) and you like having all the papers and like holding them and looking around and being like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, I was like, okay, where do I put you now? Mm, That deep, dark drawer sounds great. That'll Mm. be a great little home for you. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, um, so there was one part where it was like, I don't know how to approach this manuscript. I don't, I don't feel like I have the tools and skills to quite understand it. Also feeling like it was a first shitty draft and being like kind of embarrassed and like looking at it and being like, this sucks. Like I feel embarrassed by this novel. Like there are parts of it that are great and there are parts of it that I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so um, I think there was that embarrassment factor, you know? 
Um, so, you know, letting it rest. But I think what emerged, two things emerged from the process. One was loving the process and being like, okay, I like writing fiction, which I don't feel like I really knew before this. And the second was the book was about a girl, a woman who goes on a vision quest. So I was like, oh, I need to go on a vision quest. Mm. <laughs> so it was like, I felt like my psyche was trying to give me a message. Mm. Psyche slash soul was trying to give me a message. The way that she gave me this message was through writing this story. Mm. And now it was up to, to me to receive that message and say, okay, um, let me go on a real vision quest. And so that's what I spent the following year doing. Going on this vision quest. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear more about that. What is a vision quest to you? So a vision quest comes from, traditionally comes from the Lakota people um, who are from mostly concentrated in South and North Dakota. And um, they traditionally had young children, young boys mostly, go out into nature for a few days um, with the facilitation of a medicine person, a medicine man mostly. Uh, without food or water and to receive, to commune with nature, but also to get insight about their place in their community and in their tribe. Um, so that's how Vision Quest is traditionally, that's in, in Lakota, it's called Hemblechia. So it's, it's crying, crying out for understanding is the, the real literal translation. Um, I'm not Lakota, and so I had to learn a lot about this tradition and, and with utmost respect and care um, engage in that ritual. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot in that process of, okay, I'm going to go do this vision quest. And is it a lot about what it means to be a contemporary spiritual seeker you know mm. and to be i think so many of us we live you know in san francisco we're in a new age right and we a lot of us borrow from various traditions and so it brought into a, a lot of it brought into the questioning of like i'm borrowing from a tradition right now and what is my relationship to this tradition so there was a deeper inquiry that emerged there around culture that i wasn't expecting and was that was really beautiful. Mm. I feel like I have so many questions about what you just said, but first of all, it's just the logistical aspect of it. So what sort of preparation do you have to do before you're going out mm -hmm. for four days with no food and water? I prepared for a year and you know, that kind of discipline that I talked about with writing my book, it's like all that energy, that kind of disciplinary energy went towards prepping for Vision Quest. Mm. It was like every day I was praying at my altar with tobacco and making ties. Um, the medicine woman that I was working with, who's up in Oregon, she had a very high bar 
like some people go out and it's like you can prep for like three months and it's you know you can she was like you're gonna prep for a year and we're gonna do a lot of work so it was like pretty intense preparation like um so there are the making of the prayer ties which i had to make about a thousand of them but i had a year keep that in mind so i made a few you know every day um i had to go seek certain plants so cedar collect cedar collect mugwort um i had to harvest willow willow poles which were going to be my altar i had to make my altar basically which is what i was going to be have when i was out there on the mountain and there was a lot of learning there because you know i'm living in san francisco i'm trying to run a business and i'm like having to um be in relationship with plants you know so it was very it was a different reality and so there was actually i would say the preparation was like even more intense than being on the mountain in some ways mm. and then six months before you go up you prepare your body with a diet so you go vegan but then you go, you know you go gluten-free vegan and then before you go up a month before you go up you're on non-solid foods and then you're just on juices and a ton of water so there's also preparing the body but i would say it's mostly preparing the spirit for like what it's about to encounter i worked with a lakota man he was kind enough to like take me under his wing for a little too and he was like you're gonna go on a date with the creator <laughs> you know? that's a beautiful way to put it yeah so like get your best wear and like make a most beautiful altar and like prepare your body and mind because you're like about to, sh you know, you're about to go, um, be in relationship with him or in, in this man's view, he used the word he, mm -hmm. um, I tend to think of her as a her, so <laughs> whatever floats your boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So probably a broad question, but are there any major insights you feel like you obtained either through that process of preparing or during the actual ceremony? Well, in the preparation, I realize so much of us in our um, day and age today, especially since we can drop into a yoga class, we can go online and search things to prepare for something is part of the ceremony, you know? Like some people like two days before, they're like, I'm going to go do Aya, you know, I'm going to go do Aya. And it's like, you've got to prepare the body and mind. So the idea of preparation as part of the ceremony, I think was a big shift for me. Similarly, integration afterwards, right? Um, so, uh, and that's, that's how the indigenous peoples used to do it. They used to go out into nature. You see like prepare with sweat sweat ceremonies or ceremonies beforehand they used to like gather things and plants beforehand there were there was a lot of lead up before you did something you mm -hmm. know so the feeling that there's like a proper way to do something or like a more intentional way to do something was like something i think i learned through the preparation process which was really humbling because i thought i was just gonna i reached out to the medicine woman two months before people were going up on the mountain. And I was like, can I just go up in two months? And she was like, no, how about you wait a whole year mm -hmm. and come next year? Right. Like, how much do you want this? Are you willing to wait a year and prep for a year? And I was like, yeah, I am. And so I did. Um, 
So that, I think that was a big insight in the preparation. The other insight I had during preparation was how much it kind of kicked my ass. Like really weird stuff started coming up in my relationships. It was almost like spirit was like cleansing me a little, like making sure like if I go up on the mountain, I go up as clean as I can go up. Like as, I don't know if that makes sense, but like just different um, things I didn't know about people surfaced, came to the surface. Um, Things I had kind of buried deep within myself kind of had to come out. Um, Conflict, a lot of conflict came up right before I went up. So, and I kind of, because I had the context of like, I'm going up and I'm preparing, I was able to like understand Mm. that these things were coming up as part of the ceremony. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, this means I shouldn't go up. This is like a sign. I was like, oh, this is exactly why I need to go. (laughs) It's like these things are coming up because I'm purifying, you know? Mm. Um, So, yeah, I would say that was a big insight during preparation. Going up on the mountain itself is a whole other thing that we can dig into if you want. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's. I mean, I don't know anyone else who's done a vision quest, so it seems like a good opportunity to learn more. Yeah. If you'd like to share. Sure. So I'll share some some parts. Um, Some of it feels really intimate, you know? Yeah. But I'll share that... It was the desert and I was going to go four days without water. It was in the middle of wilderness and we were told there was a bobcat looking for water and trying to protect her young that were like was around, you know. Um, I wasn't really scared of the, the feline. I felt like she was just around and she was cool. Like I, it didn't really, that didn't really scare me. I think the water really kind of tripped me up. And so then it was like, okay, the thing is, is the medicine woman, she kind of played the role of a trickster. She kind of took on the trickster vibe a little bit and kind of threw me for a few loops before I went up like a good (laughs) shaman would do. (laughs) And so I was kind of like, really not expecting certain things to happen before I went up. One in particular was that we did a sweat lodge. I knew we were going to do a sweat before, but then she also had us guide a fire in a teepee for the entire night, keep a fire going for the entire night. Because when you're up there, you have a fire going for four days and your friends and family camp together and they guard this fire. And that's... um really to keep that continuity and to keep them connected to you as you go on the mountain. Um, and so she had us guard this fire in a teepee. So I went from like a wet sauna to a dry sauna, you can imagine. During that 18 hour period, I evacuated most of my water. I literally peed like seven times and I felt like all the water left my, like almost all my water left my system is what I felt like. So the first day I was up on the mountain and the second day I was thirsty as fuck. I don't know if I can use that word. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I was really thirsty. Uh-huh. I was really thirsty. Mm. And I was like, and it's like, there's not that much moisture in the air. We're in high desert Oregon. And I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. 
And this medicine woman has assured me that she's put like almost 1,200 people on the mountain. I've spoken to people who have gone up on the mountain. Like I did my research to be like, this is, you know, this is cool. You know, and it was like, if you're prepared, like that. But I wasn't expecting the level of thirst, I think. Um, So it was really hard. It was really hard. It was physically challenging. And it was physically challenging to see my body transform in front of my eyes. (laughs) How did it transform? I just started shrinking. And I started emptying out like there was nothing left inside me, Mm. you know. And it sounds really radical. Like, why would you do that? You know, yet this is a ceremony that's been around for thousands of years. Though with a caveat traditionally for people who lived in a very different time than we did. Right. So to see my body literally become like an empty vessel, you know. Um, so there was, so that's one piece was like, I'm really thirsty. This is really hard. When I'm not in that mode, when I wasn't like in that kind of animalistic survival mode, I was definitely feeling a lot of grace. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of grace and so much gratitude and feeling like mama earth was just like taking me into our arms and totally taking care of me and giving me so many gifts and I was just totally there with her, you know. It was really intense. Hmm. And was there someone like watching you or monitoring you or, mm-hmm. you know, in case you like passed out or, mm-hmm. I don't know, just to check on you? Yeah, there was. Okay. Someone who would come check on me two or three times a day with binoculars from a distance. Okay. And I would imagine you kind of, I mean, obviously the sun would rise and the moon would come up, but you kind of like lost track of time. No, I knew exactly what time it was, Mm. especially because I was so in in tune with the sun because the sun, the way my altar was built was I had very little shade which was another added challenge was that I was roasting a little bit. Was that intentional? Nope. Some of the other women. So there were other women who went up on the mountain with me. There were seven of us and we were in different locations on the mountain. Some of them had really nice, cool shaded areas. Medicine woman put me on a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She was like, yeah. And so I was, and it was like, it was a little bed. So it like pooled a lot of heat. (laughs) yeah so this is what i'm telling like physically challenging like next level so why do you think she did that do you think she like specifically singled you out to do that oh yeah why i was her i've been a straight a student my whole life (laughs) and i was her like good student i did everything she asked me for so like Everything and went beyond, you know, she was like, make a thousand prayer. I was like making, you know, 
more than that. I was like, you know, super uber prepared in communication with her. Right before I go up, she throws me a ton of loops. You know, and then she puts me in the toughest spot on the mountain. I think she knew that I could do it. Now, I kind of, when I went up, when I was so thirsty on my second day, I was basically, I just made a deal with the creator. I was just like, I'm going to not go the four four days. I'm going to finish at the third day. I was kind of like, I already decided. I was like, this is amazing. I think three days is enough. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like all I could think of was like Pellegrino. (laughs) 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 And, And so the most beautiful thing happened, which was on the third day, I got my moon, my menstruation. Hmm. which for women, if you get your moon when you're on Vision Quest, you have to terminate. You have to come down the mountain because you're entering a different ceremony. You're like in a different place now. You're in a different level of consciousness. You're in a different, you're in fact in a higher place. And so I really um, couldn't believe it when I went to the bathroom and saw that I was it had come right i was like it was like my body knew my body was like three days is enough yes and we're gonna move you along here (laughs) you know we're gonna move you along and so i was the only woman from the seven to not finish and come down on the third day um and that's like a whole like the story of coming down the mountain is really really beautiful really different like not what i expected it's almost like the preparation it was like the preparation and the coming down was like where so many of the lessons came you know um so when i came down and the medicine woman when she came to get me she said i was seven feet tall that Hmm. was the first thing she said Hmm. i was completely covered in dirt because i had dug a hole for myself and put myself under the earth because it was so hot and there was a little bit of water in the soil and so my body was able to drink water that was in the mud you know wow yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's a powerful visual yeah that was one of my favorite parts was like actually getting under the soil and so i was i came out and i was like i remember the first thing she said she like looked into my eyes and was like you know, welcome back. It's funny when she was kind of the trickster before I went up, but when I came down, she was like the all-embracing mother. It makes sense though. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the the paradigm. It's like, because it's not like she was tricking you because she hates you or something. She was like, it had to do with the whole process, right? Yeah. yeah. She was playing a role. Right. Facilitating a process. And so she kind of embraced me, put her shawl around me, gave me her flip-flops because I was barefoot. And I slowly walked down and she said how are you feeling and i said thirsty (laughs) (laughs) and she laughed you know maybe she was expecting a more enlightened answer right and i was just like all that was on my mind in that moment it's present yeah it's present it's present Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like body wants water um what was it like drinking your first water oh amazing gulping that up was like (laughs) (laughs) couldn't believe it I mean, so much of the quest is relationship to water. 
like so much of it is and like i feel like being in california with the drought it was like a heightened sense of like this is a really precious thing you know Mm -hmm. and we are so much of us we are made of water you know and that was also a really beautiful moment i had on the mountain like several times and a big insight was that I felt like there was no water left in me. I felt like a dried prune up there. And then I would cry. Wow. (laughs) And all this water would just come out of me. And I was like, I can't believe there's all this water in me. You know? Yeah. And I would just like drink my tears. (laughs) Because I was just like. Literally you would drink your tears? Yeah. Like you would wipe them off your face and (laughs) lick them? Yeah. Wow, this is such a powerful. I don't know. I feel like that. I experienced a novel right there, you know, like just those few images are very vivid. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very, very um, intimate with myself, you right. know, and, and just being in awe of it. Like I still had water because for a while I wasn't peeing and I was really nervous. I was like, oh my God, I'm not peeing. Like I really don't have any water, I really don't have any water. And I was really thirsty then I would cry out of like just feeling the sheer grace, you know? And I was like, oh, there it is. I'm okay. <laughs> and it was so reassuring. So coming down was really special. My parents, who had a lot of resistance to me doing this, of course, because I was their sweet daughter that they didn't want anything bad to happen to. Right. They came. They showed up and they held camp with and kept a fire while I was up there. Um. They're really beautiful beings. I'm really lucky to have them. My mom went through her own vision quest with me doing this. Like she was basically like thought she would die of anxiety and fear. She was so gripped by fear of losing me. Um, and she, she was there. My parents were there and the craziest thing happened. I came down from the mountain and I was wearing like, you know, the medicine woman's shawl over my head and my hands were all dirty and I passed by my parents. My parents kind of, they were standing together and I, they cut my, they split apart and I passed through them Mm. and they had no idea it was me. They didn't recognize me at all. And my mom thought later, she told me she thought I was a woman from Calcutta who'd come to visit to like give a talk that night. Cause she saw quickly, she saw my hand. She thought it was like henna and the shawl over my head. I went into the teepee and that's when sweet medicine, the medicine woman gave me water and she gave me like mango and pineapple. I wasn't really hungry. So that, that part was like, like food wasn't really the issue. Um, and my dad came in coincidentally, he had a feeling he should come in even though he didn't know who this woman was. Mm-hmm. He thought actually maybe like, Cause my dad's a doctor. So he was like, Oh, maybe this woman is like, need something from me. He had like an intuition. So he came in and this is the part that trips me out. My dad and I looked at each other for a minute in the eyes, like at least 30 seconds. And he had no idea it was me. That is crazy. I feel like you always recognize your blood or your partner's like eyes, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when I started to, move my face a little. I think maybe I started to cry or something because I felt like I had such an intimate moment with my father that I haven't had in so long of like just looking at him in the eyes. Then he recognized me and was like, whoa. (laughs) It was like, oh my God, this is my daughter. Mm. 
And then he moved into like very concerned father mode, you know, came beside me and was like, are you drink this water, drink more water, (laughs) drink more water. Later, he told me I had the look on on my face that a lot of his patients have had before they die. Mm. The same kind of look. He said I was like on the verge of it. Mm. Um, And it scared him so much that he just like, you know, was like, drink this, you know, was like super like, are you eating? Like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Can you feel your limbs? Like he went into doctor mode, you know? And I was fine. I was great. And then my brother came in and my fiance Enrique came in and they were crying so much. They were like, I wasn't expecting that. They, cause they kept a fire for me for three days and they knew how hot it got. And they were just like, they could just feel how intense it was for me. And they just felt so much relief and joy to see me. Um, it was really interesting to see my brother cry. No, I don't think I'd ever really seen him cry since he was like a little boy. Mm. That was, what's really beautiful. I think with vision quest, the way that this, the way that it was designed was to bring, to bring, um, people together, to bring family together, you know, cause it's not like something I did out by myself out somewhere. It was like something that like my friends and family were there to hold, hold me through and pray for me. (laughs) Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it was. It is. feels like yesterday. And... I almost don't want to ask you to like boil it down, but are there any kind of like discernible differences of the Maria post vision quest versus pre? We can say like after this point, this developed within me or. Mm. Let me ask you, what do you think? I definitely definitely feel like a, a different sense of presence mm. in you. And I remember when I took your picture on the street and you were thinking about writing this novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were like, this character is in search of her divinity. Mm. And... I feel like now you feel like seated in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, especially because I got my moon on the third day, mm-hmm. I feel like I was initiated into something. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I made a little crown for myself when I was out there, which is really funny. Like I took these little like mugwort Mm -hmm. and I like tied it together and made a little crown Mm -hmm. and then put it on my head. At this point, I'm a little delirious. (laughs) It's like three days, no food and water. I'm like completely, you know, I'm like delirious, but I'm like in that crazy state kind of with 
where ego is starting to like shake a little. Right. And so I'm like, oh, I'll just make a crown for myself and like put it on my head, you know? So I, I feel that in some way, on a soul level, something has shifted. But it's like the deeper programming, you know? The seeds have been sown. It's like we had a big heart, like not a harvest when you sow the seeds. Like I feel like Vision Quest was like a big sowing of many seeds. Mm-hmm. Like a giant one where I was like, we're going to sow a lot of seeds. And so the sprouting of that is going to take a lot longer. I think. I feel like the sprouting of those seeds is going to take it's taking and it's unfolding, but it's it's going to be like the next decade, you know? It's not like I finish Vision Quest and within a few months after it, I'm like completely a different woman. It's like the programming has been like the programming has been changed. Right. The updates are happening. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah. Happy to. I'm really happy to share it with you because I knew that speaking to you would be like a way that I could help integrate the experience, you mm-hmm. know, through conversation. Mm-hmm. And like, because I haven't really written about it yet. Mm-hmm. I blogged a little bit about it and, and shared one little anecdote. But, and I've shared with close friends and family. But it feels good to just share it with you too, you know, because mm-hmm. you were really there before, you know, before and kind of after too. I'm glad to be here for it. Yeah. I feel like that's the role you play, right? Yeah. I feel like, well, for one, as I'm looking at you right now, mm-hmm something that happens to me often, which is kind of the quality of my pictures is like the, mm. b- the background gets really blurred out mm. and your like soul is mm. really present. But I feel like, like I'm a fire starter, right? Like mm-hmm. my, my being is like igniting for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. whatever it, it was that already existed within you mm-hmm. was like given some Mm -hmm. heat Mm -hmm. and then you went on this journey and now we're like checking in afterwards like so what was that like for you (laughs) yeah Yeah. totally you totally gave me a little spark and I feel like also I remember you introducing me at a park to like a few friends of yours and you're like oh this is Maria and she's a writer and I remember being like what are you talking about (laughs) I remember like looking at you and be like what are you talking about I'm not a writer and now like I fully call myself a writer I am a writer you know I'm writing I'm writing poetry fiction nonfiction. I'm going to continue to write that is part of my gift that's one of my big gifts you know yeah well I'm happy to have been of service (laughs) (laughs) seeing the highest in people so that they can get there when they're ready that's hmm. so important, so key. And that that's what you do with your photographs, you know? I feel like that photograph, you called it Isis, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like... Isis rising, I believe. Yeah. 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 It's so beautiful. It's like... Yeah. 
you held that vision, you know, for me in a lot of ways. And I, I feel so grateful for that. Well, we'll have to take another picture and then we can put them side by side and, <laughs> yeah. and just see the vibrations that come out of each. I think that would be very telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that we need to stop because you have other obligations, I know, and I want to honor your time, but this has been amazing. And I mean, I would even be interested to have more conversations with you at another time because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot more to you than that experience but I'm really mm-hmm. glad that we got to go into that experience yeah thank you for giving me that space yeah Thanks. well um, I guess if you want to know more about Maria she does have a coaching business she has a website where you can get more information about her would you like to share that sure it's just my name Maria Molfino.com. Uh, Molfino spelled M-O-L-F-I-N-O. So it's coaching now, but intuitively I feel like there are going to be different offerings available <laughs> over time. So if you if you watch this or you listen to this now, it's one thing, and maybe in a year or five years, I feel like it's going to keep evolving. Mm-hmm, definitely. So, so thank you. Enjoy yourself. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Maria. Thank you.